This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb, Sycamore, and now 89.3 from Morris, Joliet much of central Illinois and also much of northern Illinois, and we're growing, and it's all made possible by you. We're going to have a great show for you today. Remember that it's brought to you by you, and any donations that you want to make, you can make at our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. You can find out a lot more about us there, and it will tell you how to make a donation. And uh, we would appreciate anything that you can give, large or small. If you want to call our station, our number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And I'm here today with my wife, Lynn. And we're going to finish up uh, a little bit on what we talked about last week on inflation and a few other items. But before we start, I'm going to turn this over to Lynn and let her have her say before the show gets started any further. Well, can you believe it? Southern Illinois got snow. I I don't know if it's a dusting yet or what, but they sure had a blizzard up in the Dakotas. So winter's coming on, and you know, we got a week and a half, 10 days, something like that, till Thanksgiving. And... No, we don't. <laughs> can't believe it. Can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, can't believe it. And you know, it's out on the East Coast. It's, it's summer out there. Yeah, the high was in the seventies in Maine. My grandson's, our our grandson is up there. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Well, it isn't unbelievable. <laughs> it's just wonder what's going on. Yeah, well, we had summer a couple but, of days ago. Right, we did. We did. It just takes a couple of days for all that weather to move from one place to the other. My sister lives in Kansas City, Kansas, but she said, I get the weather, you get it about 36 hours later. <laughs> and that is how it works. But Thanksgiving's coming up, and we have much to be thankful for. You might not feel like it at times with the prices that we are, the way they are, and things going on in the world. But so far, we're safe. There's still a supply of food. And we're still in God's graces, we hope. <laughs> so be thankful and pray. Pray for our country. We need the prayers. Yeah, I, I think the East Coast is going to be the, at least the Northeast, anyhow, out there. They're going to have a shortage of uh, maybe natural gas and also diesel fuel. Uh, and All right. it's going and to be a very, very expensive winter for the people on diesel fuel, they say, out there on fuel oil, which is really a form of diesel fuel. And, uh, at They're going to have rolling blackouts. In the Midwest here, we have plenty of natural gas, and uh, I think we, we may avoid that. It's too bad we didn't build those pipelines because, you know, that's we have plenty of it in the United States, but you have to be able to get it from one place to the other. And to do that, you need pipelines, and they were canceled, and so we don't have them. No, but 
Well, I was going to say our president's over at that meeting and he's saying how wonderful we're doing. So that's the way it is. Okay, I would. I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, inflation here. We talked about it last week, and uh, we I promised that we would have a read from an article on how uh, sound money won the Battle of Yorktown and saved the American Revolution, so we're going to get to that. And I just want to just summarize uh, what we talked about last week. We pointed out uh, that inflation is a sin, according to Catholic teaching, and goes back even further than that. We showed that uh, all the way back into the Old Testament, uh, it was warned about inflation, and it called inflation a sin. And uh, inflation is the debasement of money by increasing the supply without a matching increase of goods and services, and that's what it is. Uh, it's not imported from elsewhere. Uh, high prices do not cause inflation. It's the other way around. Inflation causes high prices. Well, you can have high prices because of shortages and those kinds of things, but those that target specific things. Some things go up, people cut back on those things, and they don't have the money to pay or buy for them. So eventually the price stabilizes and then begins to go back down as less is used and substitutes are brought onto the market. But when you have inflation, it isn't that there's a shortage of money, there's too much money. And uh, people have money to spend, and they spend it, and they just keep driving the prices up as long as more money is put into the system, and that's what inflation is. Uh, so the Bible, uh, the Old Testament condemns it. Christian theology itself, early Christian theology condemned it, and then uh, modern monetary policy also condemns it as well. So uh, it steals from those who are less able to avoid it or afford it. And uh, we talked about that last week, though. So Catholics should condemn it, and it should be pointed out by uh, our prelates and, and the, the church to, that it is a sin. And it's always been held as a sin. It debates the money. The state uh, has a responsibility to protect its people from bad money. And uh, it's... It, a, a abandonment of its responsibility when it doesn't do that. So at any rate, we're going to talk about uh, bad money and sound money during the American Revolution and how um, bad money affected the revolution and how inflation almost caused uh, the revolutionary forces, the Continental Army, to lose uh, the Revolutionary War and how sound money just in time saved the uh, Continental Army and prevented uh, the British uh, from winning the Revolutionary War. And so if it weren't for sound money being introduced at just the nick of time, we may not have had an independent country that we have today. So it's an Im important thing and an important topic. And I want to read an article. And uh, the article is by Lawrence W. Reed. And uh, he is the former president of uh, the fee uh, foundation. FEE stands for Foundation for Economic Education, and they emphasize a lot uh, of having a sound money system. He is the former president and still president emeritus of that foundation and has written a number of other books on economics and on uh, money 
and on American history. So it's an interesting article. It appears in the Epic Times, and it's in the uh, October 19th uh, edition of the Epic Times, and it's in Section B of that uh, edition. And again, it's titled, uh, How Sound Money Won the Battle of Yorktown and Saved the American Revolution. And uh, it says here, 241 years ago, sound money helped save the day during the critical battle of Yorktown. Uh, The article starts, it says, Early this month, United States Representative Alex Mooney, Republican West Virginia, introduced the Gold Standard Restoration Act. House uh, H.R. Bill number 9157. If enacted into law, it would require public disclosure of the federal government's gold holdings and eventually define the dollar as a specific weight in gold. For the moment, the bill's chances of of passage are as nil as nil can get. Sound money, whether it's gold or silver or paper, that is backed by both or one of these metals, may not acquire a sizable constituency again until a monetary disaster demands it. That's a sad commentary on the general state uh, of economics and economic knowledge. In the meantime, we can at least hope that Mooney's bill may stimulate a long overdue discussion. And that would be a good thing. America is a nation whose very independence was first jeopardized by unbacked paper money only to be purchased later by precious metal. That's a story often left out of history classes, but I summarized it in the times that tried men's economic souls. That was an article that uh, that Lawrence Reed wrote. After the runaway inflation of continental dollars, I explained. A currency reform in 1780 asked everyone to turn in the old money for a new one at the ratio of 20 to 1. Congress offered to redeem the paper and gold in 1786, but this didn't wash with a citizenry already burned by paper promises. And you can understand why. This was in 1780, and the Continental Army and the citizens were being asked to accept paper money that could be turned into gold uh, six years, five or six years hence. In effect, uh, Congress was telling the Revolutionary Army, go out and win the war, come back and go to work on your farms and in your businesses, produce more goods and services, and finally, at the end of this period of time, you can turn your money in you know, for real gold. Well, that wasn't going to fly very well because they were already suffering from not being paid at all and also from being paid in scrip that uh, wasn't worth much. (laughs) As fast as you could go out and spend it, it became worthless. By 1781, it abandoned its legal tender laws and started paying for supplies and whatever gold and silver it could muster from the states or convince a friend like France to lend it. Not by coincidence, supplies and morale improved, which helped bring the war to a successful end just two years later. The enemy observed the last days of the continental hyperinflation with delight, expecting that it was a harbinger of inevitable British victory. Historian Barbara A. Mitchell writes, and let me continue over here on the next page, if I can get to it. Oh, you will. 
and she writes, uh, as the government printed more money, continental currency continued to hyperinflate. It just doesn't do any good to keep printing more money as prices go up. Uh, the idea that you can somehow or another get ahead of those high prices, well, we'll give the people more money and then they'll be able to afford the high prices and, and prices will level up. That never happens because you can keep on raising your prices. You know, All you have to do is put a sign in your store <laughs> to go from $1 to $2 or whatever. You can do that much faster than you can print the money. So it doesn't work. You can try printing more money, but all you end up doing is having printing presses running day and night, and they can't catch up with the fact that prices keep on rising because you just keep pouring more money into the system. And you find that with inflation. If it's not inflation, people simply quit buying. They don't have the money to do it, and prices level off, and they only go up on those things that are actually scarce, and they don't go up on everything. But when money keeps coming into the system, people run out and spend it as fast as they can, and everything goes up. And when you see everything going up, you know that it's not just high prices. It's inflation causing high prices. So at any rate, uh, it goes on here. It says, the consul in Philadelphia began publishing the month-to-month rates of currency to specie, which weary consumers then multiplied by three. In other words, they would give the ratio, but the consumers themselves were were multiplying that by three. In other words, they were being more realistic, understanding that the, the ratio wasn't really what they were being told. When the currency finally collapsed in May 1781, its ratio to specie was officially 175 to 1, is what Congress said it was. But people themselves multiplied at 525 to one. In other words, it would take $525 to buy one ounce. If a gold, if a piece of gold stood for $1, for example, I don't know what it stood for back then, but let's say it did. Say one ounce of gold stood for a dollar. It would take $525 actually to buy that ounce of gold, 525 of the paper money. You can see the inflation and it just kept going up. Uh, A spirited procession was staged in Philadelphia to mark its collapse, with people marching with dollars in their hats as paper plumes. An unhappy dog trotted alongside, tarred, and pasted with a worthless paper. America's war with its mother country commenced in 1775, but as late as 1780, it wasn't going well for the rebels. General George Washington's troops had lost more battles than they had won. While Congress paid in depreciating paper, supplies and suppliers ran for the hills. In other words, they, didn't, they weren't going to have anything to do with that paper if they could help it. They weren't going to turn over real goods for that paper money, which by the time they could got their hands on it, ran out to spend it, would be worth less than the goods that they gave away. So, they, they were, so Washington's troops hadn't been paid in months of any kind of money, whether inflated or not. With families at home that depended upon them, it wasn't at all clear that those troops would stick around, and you could hardly blame them. Um, they had, you know, wives and children and so forth on farms that needed attending. Rumors swirled that the army might melt away in a desperate act of mass desertion. Mitchell reveals, as planned for the Yorktown campaign, Washington was desperate for hard currency to pay his troops. He wrote to Robert Morris, the famous patriot and financier of the revolution, and he said, 
I must entreat you, if possible, to procure one month's pay in specie for the detachment under my command. Part of the troops have not been paid anything for a long time past and have upon several occasions shown marks of great discontent. And this was an understated reference to the mutinies by some continental troops and the general unrest among many. In other words, Washington was really getting very, very worried and uh, things were, he was putting, putting a better face on things than they really were. Uh, he was worried that his army was simply going to mutiny and rebel. Then the unexpected occurred and dramatically changed the course of the war. 241 years ago this week, sound money helped save the day during the critical battle of Yorktown. A French naval fleet under the command of Admiral Comte de Grasse was well aware of the dire financial straits of Washington's army. De Grasse stopped in Havana in mid-August, expecting to secure gold and silver, mostly from mines in Mexico. He planned to deliver the American, he planned to deliver to the Americans, only to discover that the specie hadn't yet arrived. So he solicited private contributions from the residents of Havana, who came through with an amazing half million pesos in silver and a smaller measure of gold enough money to pay Washington's men and keep the Continental Army intact. De Grasse knew that the clock was ticking, that Washington would soon move on Yorktown, and that London would send a fleet to relieve British troops holed up in the city. To the enormous satisfaction of Washington and his men, De Grasse arrived in time. The troops were paid in sound money. The three-week siege of Yorktown ended on October 17th when British General Lord Corn Cornwallis, unable to escape by sea because of the French fleet, surrendered. The war that so few once thought could ever end in American victory was effectively over. I cannot recall any moment in history when an army was ever saved by, by bad money and, and uh, paper species. But Yorktown was a victory every lover of liberty and sound money should celebrate now and forever. So that's the story of the, the sound money saving the Continental Army and saving Washington at Yorktown and effectively winning the American Revolution. We're going to have to stop here and take a break, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Giving Tuesday. It's coming soon, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Won't you choose Catholic Spirit Radio? Keep this radio station broadcasting. On our website or through the mail, support Catholic Spirit Radio by donating on Giving Tuesday, November 29th. Help spread the word. Catholic Spirit Radio welcomes Morris and Joliet and their surrounding communities to our listening audience on 89.3 FM. Catholic Spirit Radio broadcasts 24 hours a day, has a listening app, a website with resources, and a Facebook presence. With news, talk shows, and prayer opportunities, Catholic Spirit Radio brings the beauty, truth, and genius of our faith to listeners in central and northern Illinois, now serving Morris and Joliet on 89.3 FM. Help spread the word. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking a little bit more about inflation and uh, the story of how sound money saved George Washington's army, the Continental Army, uh, from collapsing and desertion. 
because the troops, having not been paid, were were uh, beginning to rebel, and they were not going to accept any more paper money that uh, became worthless almost as fast as they got it. And luckily, uh, they were saved by good money being introduced to the troops and uh, stayed with George Washington, fought the Battle of Yorktown, won it. And, of course, uh, Cornwallis's troops were not able to escape Yorktown. They couldn't get out to the sea because of the French ships that were out there on our side. And uh, it, because of the army uh, was surrendered, Cornwallis's army, the war was effectively over. The American Revolution was won, and we are where we're at today, all done by the fact that the sound money saved the day. So that's a good way, I think, to end our talk on inflation. But the whole point is, is that from very ancient times, religion, that is the Christian religion, or earlier than that, the Jewish religion, the Judeo-Christian idea of sound money, goes back a long, long time, and it was considered a sin from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, through the early Catholic Church, and even up to this day, it's a sin to debase money because what you are doing is you're taking uh, goods and uh, effort from people, and uh, you're replacing good money that they work for with bad money, and it hurts the poor and the least able to cope the most. They're the ones that have a harder time escaping the bad money, and uh, they get hit harder by shouldering the loss that they take because of the bad money. So it's a sin, and the church has always said so, and I think as Catholics, we should condemn inflation. It's not necessary, and it's something that is used often by governments in order to... uh, enrich themselves at the expense of the people and pretending that it's inflation is coming from somewhere else and uh, it's a tax and they pretend of course that it's not so this is this is some this is a lesson we should take away and we shouldn't tolerate it at any rate uh, I want to talk a little bit here uh, on a new topic and that is that the uh, harm that is done by normalizing disorder and uh, disordering normality. Uh, under progressivism, we have uh, a lot of traditional things that are pushed aside or are watered down by introducing things that are not traditional. And somehow or another, this idea is that uh, we're expanding our inclusivity and uh, we're normalizing more people and more things, and this is good for society. But there's an article in the public square uh, in the magazine First Things, November 2022, and it's by the editor of First Things, R.R. Reno, and he talks about the harms done by normalizing uh, behaviors and institutions that uh, should not be normalized and that were condemned, especially by the uh, early Catholic Church. And so we're going to go ahead and talk about that. Uh, He's talking here specifically about some of the harms done by gay marriage, but then there are others that are in the same way, and we'll talk about some of those too if we have the time. So let's look at this article. Again, it's in the uh, uh, November 2022 uh, magazine, First Things. 
and by R.R. Reno, it's called harms done by gay marriage, but it applies across the board to when we normalize a lot of things uh, that shouldn't be normalized. Uh, then you can't always include everything. In other words, to include certain things are to exclude other things. Uh, if we include, for example, dishonesty, we exclude honesty. Uh, if we, you know, include theft, we exclude uh, proper behavior. There are certain things that simply can't be inclusive because they actually cause other things to be excluded or watered down. And that's what we have to understand. A society simply can't include and approve of everything. It has to pick and choose. And again, this is one of the reasons, both with uh, talking about uh, our money, sound money, and talking about sound institutions and sound behaviors and sound standards. This is why I talked a few weeks ago about integralism, that is, by integrating a lot of the dogmas of Christianity, and I'm talking specifically about Catholic Christianity, into our laws, because when religion is removed entirely, when it is removed entirely from anything to do with the state, uh, the laws and all of the stability that the state is based on disappears over time, and then one fad after another takes place, and a lot of things that simply are not workable come into existence, and the society gets destabilized, and it causes a lot of harm, and it does a lot of harm to the ordinary people of that society who can't cope with these things because a lot of the ordinary people simply don't have the time or the wherewithal to do so. And so it one of the great uh, the advantages of Christian civilization, uh, in spite of the fact that people, <laughs> Christians or not, are, are subject to corruption, was that a lot of the things stayed stable. And uh, if people disobeyed them and so forth, it, you know, it was a form of hypocrisy. And we have to remember that, you know, hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pay, pays the virtue. People might be uh, act, you know, hypocritically, but nevertheless, it still keeps a stable idea of what the law and what behavior should be. And when that gets taken out of the the state, there really isn't any basis and stability for the state laws to be. They're whatever what people think uh, happens to be appropriate or happens to be convenient at the time, and that kind of. Uh, constant change usually is a change for the worse. I mean, new things that come along usually are not proven, and many of them are for the worst. And the society can get so destabilized that a tremendous amount of harm is done, and sometimes it can't recover. So this is the whole case, really, when we talk about a lot of these things that a person can make for the the movement that is uh, forming now within the Catholic Church itself, uh, I shouldn't say within a church, but within a lot of people who are Catholic, the idea that we should not have a total separation of church and state, that there should be you know, a distinction between church and state, but that there has to be a lot of the, the uh, dogmas of religion attached to the, uh, the ba- basis of our laws. And when those are removed, those laws become uh, very, very unstable. 
So at, at any rate, let's go ahead and and uh, go into this article by R.R. Reno, Harms Done by Gay Marriage. But this is just an example. The gay marriage, there are other harms done by other normalizations of behavior that was once considered disordered. So let's read this. It says, Our ruling class <coughs> seems determined to drive our country into a ditch. Uh, H.R. 8404, the Respect for Marriage Act, is a case in point. And notice the title here, Respect for Marriage Act. But what it brings about actually is the opposite of respect for marriage. I mean, it's it's one of these things that's uh, like a mirror image. It's it's something right out of uh, something, you know, and in effect satanic. This whole idea of naming something one thing when it actually is the very opposite thing. Uh, it goes on here. It says, the Respect for Marriage Act is a case in point. Ostensibly, the bill is meant to codify the right to same-sex marriage that was discovered by the Supreme Court in Obergefell versus Hodges. In view of present realities, it serves little purpose other than to flaunt the power of the Rainbow Reich. Gay marriage is a luxury good in our society, largely the province of professional men and women. Meanwhile, among Americans without college degrees, marriage is collapsing. The decline is not happening because heterosexual men and women are cohabiting in stable relationships. Recent studies show that the number of individuals between the ages of 24 and 54 who are living alone is increasing and now approaches 40%. Not surprisingly, fertility and family formation are declining as well. These hard numbers point to a reality only the willfully blind refuse to see the increasingly dysfunctional relations between men and women. Why the male-female dance has broken down over the past generation is not easy to explain, but it does not take a graduate degree in psychology to recognize that children need clear pathways toward adult life as men and women, nor does it take a degree in sociology to see that those pathways are precisely what we have systematically denied to children, often in the interest of making our society more so-called inclusive. And this is what I was talking about. To include certain things is also to exclude other things. And to exclude certain things is also to include certain other things. This idea that you can simply include whatever you want to without affecting the rest of the things that, that you have previously included, th this whole idea is simply incorrect. You can't include everything, and you can't exclude everything. Gay liberation was never solely about, the legal, about legal rights. It undermines the normative status of heterosexuality. As the more honest activists always insisted, the goal was to queer society. And some of the more honest uh, radical activists admitted that, that that's what they were out to do. Well, we've gone a long way toward achieving that goal. The rate of people identifying as LGBT has risen dramatically, especially among the impressionable young. A recent Gallup poll has more than 20% of Generation Z checking the LGBT box. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's quite a, a huge increase. No doubt the severe decline of norms that privilege marriage, family, and heterosexual coupling has been beneficial for a small class of people, 
uh, whose de desires are abnormal. In other words, the severe decline of norms is good for those people, but it's not good for the majority of Americans. For the majority of Americans, these changes have come at a great cost. Family offers a safe harbor in the rough seas of life. For most, it's a reliable place of comfort and a source of profound satisfaction. Public health officials scratch their heads trying to explain the extraordinary decline in life expectancy in the United States, a shocking trend for a country so rich. Their captivity to progressive ideology makes them invincibly ignorant. They cannot acknowledge the obvious truth which is that isolated, disoriented individuals, deprived of the norms that would guide them toward marriage and family, have dim prospects. They are more likely to stumble through life and engage in self-destructive behavior. Count me among those who are no longer willing to pretend. We need to reckon with a harsh reality. Their premature deaths are by design. That is, our elites have destroyed the structures that foster healthy lives. Our educational ideologies celebrate critical methods that disorient and deconstruct. That's what queering means. Our cities applaud drag queen story hour, or, or rather I'm saying our elites, not our cities. Our elites applaud drag queen story hour, believing that putatively stultifying stereotypes are being shattered and children are learning how to be more open-minded. As the data accumulates, showing how bad life has become for ordinary Americans, those who reject progressive platitudes are complicit in their neighbor's misery. Things will get worse, I'm afraid. We have deliberately deregulated our culture. The normal has been recast as repressive. This project has been sold as no noble. Many progressive Christians have declared it to be a fulfillment of the gospel, but it has meant transferring resources, social prestige, <coughs> political power, and legal privileges to those whose desires are disordered. No man is an island. We respond to incentives and social signals. We must not remain silent about the great costs that the imperatives of inclusion have imposed often on the most vulnerable. In other words, inclusion, it's like talking about good money and bad money. Bad money drives out the good. An inclusion of bad things or bad principles or bad behavior or behavior that's not properly functional drives out the good behavior, just like bad money will drive out good money. And what, what, what uh, the people mean when they say that bad money drives out good is if you have two species of money, let's say you had gold and paper, people will try to spend the paper and keep the gold. In other words, them, can't blame them. right? You can't blame them. So it's the same thing with bad behavior. Bad behavior drives out good. In the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, St. Paul gives an account of our descent into bondage to sin. Verses 18 to 32 draw upon the wisdom of Solomon which gives an extended account of the spiritual, moral, and social disaster of idolatry. In his compressed version, Paul explains how humanity turned away from the invisible nature and eternal power of God, which is clearly manifest in creation. Our minds darkened. We became fools. 
Claiming to be wise, we raised up graven images, exchanging worship of the living God for devotion to dead idols. The Bible often uses the term vanity to denote the spiritual import of idolatry. We assume that vanity refers to a conceited self-regard. But in its literal sense, vanity means emptiness or nothingness. Idol worship is thus vain in a metaphysical sense, a spiritual project oriented toward emptiness, a dead end that sucks life out of us. We get what we want, an emptiness that we fill with disordered desires. Paul goes on to specify, playing on the theme of exchange. Their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. And I want to point out here again, this is this idea of one thing driving out the other. In other words, there wasn't a whole lot of inclusion here. There was, in effect, an exchange. They exchanged one thing for another. And that's what happens when we introduce disorder, disordered norms, you know, drive out orderly norms. Disorder drives out the order. You can't have both. So inclusion of something often means exclusion of something else. In other words, you have to uh, discriminate. You have to decide what's good and what's workable and what's bad and unworkable. And this is what progressivism fails to do, and this is the harm that it causes in society. We're going to stop here and take a break, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins Place. God bless you and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. Help spread the word. Catholic Spirit Radio welcomes Morris and Joliet and their surrounding communities to our listening audience on 89.3 FM. Catholic Spirit Radio broadcasts 24 hours a day, has a listening app, a website with resources, and a Facebook presence. With news, talk shows, and prayer opportunities, Catholic Spirit Radio brings the beauty, truth, and genius of our faith to listeners in central and northern Illinois, now serving Morris and Joliet on 89.3 FM. Help spread the word. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We've been talking uh, in this program about uh, inflation and uh, bad effects of inflation. But uh, we're going on to talk also about how including disordered norms uh, will exclude what we had before, orderly norms, and how that harms society and how all of the some of these progressive ideas that somehow or another we're going to have a, a more inclusive society and a, a more tolerant society and a society of uh, better people and so forth is simply not true. And a lot of times uh, the very people that are pushing these things at the top, at least, know that these things are not true. I've said over and over again, and people ought to remember it, is that uh, Christ warned us that Satan was a liar from the beginning. 
You know, he is the father of all lies. And a lot of these things that we take as somehow normal truths today have been lies for centuries, and they're still lies. And we're reading here in Scripture, um, St. Paul warning about exchanging bad behavior for good behavior and how bad behavior drives out good behavior and how bad behavior uh, uh, harms society. He goes on, he says, For just as idols are lifeless, homosexual acts are intrinsically sterile. And Paul in Scripture in the Bible was talking about the fact uh, of these kind of things being vain. And again, like today, we uh, often think of vanity as being conceited, but what Paul meant was these things are sterile, that these things are empty, that these things are, are uh, simply not productive, uh, they're useless. And the life-giving potential of our instinctual drive to act upon our sexual desires is therefore perverted. It's made vain, that is empty, which is to say, you know, fruitless. In this way, homosexual acts typify the dead end of sinful transgression. Uh, So we don't include, when we do these kind of things, we exchange. Just as Paul said, uh, women and men exchange one thing for another. They exchange good behavior for bad behavior. So this idea that you can simply include everything and be inclusive, it really means that you're not only being inclusive, you're being exclusive. You're including those things that are harmful for those things that were good. And, and, and you have to understand that. It goes on here. It says, gay liberation demands that we celebrate that which cannot produce new life. Pride parades are like processions to temples filled with idols. As public rituals, they put an exclamation point on the various assumptions and ideologies of our time that deny transcendence, some of which are very different from those that animated the sexual revolution, but all of which lead us to social and spiritual dead ends. So this is an important thing to understand that right now marriage is being this so-called defensive marriage act is actually breaking up marriage. There's less and less marriage today than there ever has been before. More and more people living by themselves, more and more people having abortions, more and more people choosing not to have children or not to get married at all. And most of our societies, the West uh, in, in, in our societies, in France and all across Europe, we are failing to have actually enough for children to replace ourselves. Uh, the West is clearly dying. And uh, in, a, in a short period of time, really, by the 2050s, we will not have an increase or an excess uh, number of people in our societies. We'll have too little. Uh, the, fa- the fact it, is, is... It's quickly reaching that, too. It, yes, it is. And the sperm count they found all over the world has gone down. Yes, it has. People respond to the kind of society they live in mentally, and our mental state affects how we live physically. And so, you know, my wife is talking here about the fact that uh, you can measure physically that sperm counts are going down. Why is this so? You can talk about chemicals and everything else, but a lot of it is simply the stress caused by living in a dysfunctional society. And uh, People were, you know, worried that uh, they can't stay married. I mean, m- more and more people don't get married because of the high divorce rate and this, this whole idea of encouraging an effect divorce. 
and coming from unstable families and seeing what happened to their own fathers and mothers and saying, I'm not going to let that happen to me or doing the opposite, getting into a pattern like that and going out and doing the same thing and causing more dissolution. So things that harm marriage, such as the so-called Defensive Marriage Act, actually enshrining a, a, a fake form of marriage, homosexual marriage, which is not marriage at all, and, uh, and replacing real marriage with it is causing a lot of harm to our society. And uh, we can see it physically. That, that not only are people marrying less, and uh, they are actually unable to have as many children as they did before. And our societies actually are going down and dying. And what happens to the older people in society when no younger people are coming in? What good does money do, for example, if there are no goods and services to buy, and if there are no younger people to take care of the older people? Uh, what happens to society then? What happens when you have this emphasis on not having children and not having marriage? And what happens even if children are brought into the world, but they're brought into a world in which there's no family to take care of them? Look at what the state is doing. And the, the, the things that it is enforcing upon kids in schools and the, the uh, absolutely denormalized and, and uh, bad behavior that is being encouraged by the state itself. Uh, we're not building a strong country. I and mean, what happens to countries that lose their, their uh, moral direction, their moral direction, their identity and their strength and so forth, uh, they, they dissipate. Other countries step in and take them over. More powerful countries that don't do those things step in and take them over. So this isn't something that is simply a choice of uh, one individual. Again, it, it says earlier in the article, no man is an island. We are not islands. And what happens to our neighbors happens to ourselves. In a society that thinks that it can be totally individualistic and everybody can go their own way and do whatever they wish and it doesn't affect anybody else, that is wishful thinking and that is dreaming and it doesn't work. And again, this is a reason why religion and especially a religion that retains dogma for centuries is necessary to underline the laws if we're going to have a stable society. And that's what built Western civilization. And without that uh, underlying uh, stability, the society will dissipate and fall apart. And that's what's happening. And I've said this before. Uh, anyhow, it goes on here. It says, uh, <clears throat> Yoram Hazany, chief theorist of the National Conservative Movement, lamented the fact that contemporary American Christians failed to insist upon an explicitly Christian basis for American public life. And this is what we're talking about, and this is what I was talking about with the idea of integralism. We, if we don't have a basis that built our civilization underlying our laws, that is public life, then our society simply lurches from one fad to another destroying a lot of the behavior and norms and stability that builds a strong civilization, and that's what we're doing. He chastised us for not speaking up in a Christian way. He deplored the replacement of Christianity by liberalism as our public religion, and liberalism has replaced it, and liberalism is unstable. That's the problem with liberalism. It goes from one fad to the next, and it goes with all these so-called highfalutin ideas, but a lot of them that don't work. And when we try these kind of things in a society 
uh, in too great a number, the society can't take it. In other words, social change has to come about uh, slowly and has to evolve, you know, on its own terms. It can't be forced, and especially it can't be forced constantly and in all kinds of different ways. And uh, you have to suspect that if it is happening that way, it is being pushed and it's being pushed by people in power who have a self-interest for pushing it and uh, are not doing it for the very reasons that are being given. So this is something you take into consideration. Politicians today may speak vaguely of our Judeo-Christian values, as any observed, but they never mention the Bible. And I want to stop and make a point here. The thing is, is that uh, the reason that the West achieved the stability, perhaps, that other societies didn't, was because for a long time, uh, it was the Catholic Church that was the basis of the West, not the Bible. The church came first. The Bible is a product of the church. And what's in the Bible is there because the church put it there. It's not there because the Bible didn't create the church. The church created the Bible. And this is the problem with Protestantism. He talks about here we don't mention the Bible. But, of course, the Bible is mentioned a lot among Protestantism. But the thing is, is any piece of literature such as the Bible— can be interpreted interpreted by anybody any way they want, and it has been. Uh, you have thirty five thousand different, you know, Protestant denominations, all claiming that they are based on the Bible. Many of those denominations con- totally opposed and contradictory to each other. So how can this be? It can be because the Bible by itself is simply not clear. And it can be interpreted in many different ways, and, and it has been and is being interpreted in almost as many ways as it can possibly interpret. And the, the fact is, is that Catholic tradition, that is what was handed on by Jesus Christ to the apostles and handed on by the apostles to their successors, that tradition is what makes the Bible. And it's Catholic tradition that interpreted the Bible and it was Catholic tradition that gave a uniformity and a basis to Western law and what ultimately built Western civilization. And when that stability and that dogma that the church provided goes, that is, if the tradition goes, then the Bible itself cannot do what, what it could do under Catholicism. The Bible itself becomes a means of actually dissension and disunity. So I can understand this person saying we need to quote scripture more. And uh, it would be a good thing if we talked about it more in, in public and debated about what it means in public and debated about it from a Catholic point of view especially. That would be a good thing. I'm not uh, knocking that at all. But nevertheless, to expect that the Bible can be a basis for our law or a basis for civilization is simply not realistic because no book— uh, can simply be interpreted specifically and clearly. Everyone can interpret it differently. There has to be a tradition that has been handed on that gives the stability to the law that Catholic tradition did. And that was what was handed on by Jesus Christ. We need to remember, Christ himself never wrote down anything, as far as we know, except that time he was writing in the sand. But uh, he taught by showing and doing 
and the apostles themselves, his disciples themselves, did the same thing. They interpreted what the church should do, how baptism should be, what the mass should be, all of this from what they were given by being shown and by being taught orally and shown, you know, physically. And so a book can't replace that. And so the underlying uh, substance of our civilization needs to be based on something that is permanent in the Bible, simply uh, a, a written book written down without some kind of a guide to interpret it and show what was taught from the very beginning, uh, it simply can be interpreted in so many different ways and go in so many directions that after a while it becomes an obstacle itself, and that's the problem. It goes on here, it says, The religious spirit of man abhors the vacuum. What purports to be secular, in fact, invites us to worship idols, which are often cruel and bloodthirsty. Secular space is hostile to human dignity. Because a lot of what we call progressivism, liberalism, whatever you want to call it, is simply things that are thought up mentally in our heads uh, and sound good, but may not work at all in practicality. And we can't stumble from one to the other forever and expect the damage that is being done not to add up to, to the point where it tips a society into a direction that is simply it's not able to recover from. And that's where it seems that our society is at right now and where it's going. And so it needs a stability that the Bible by itself, Scripture by itself, cannot give. We need the Scripture, and we need also the tradition, and we need also the guiding principle of a unified church. And that's what we have with Catholicism, at least still to this point this point. And if that's lost, Western civilization is really on its way down. And we're seeing a lot of the effects of secularism right now affecting our society. And uh, it's simply going to a dead end. And that's where I want to end here. It says here, it says, can conservatism be fashionable, even cutting edge? And for baby boomers, the answer is obvious, no. But uh, a new uh, but a, a, in a City Journal essay, a new counterculture, uh, an author, N.S. Lyons, argues otherwise. And he, he just goes on here. I can't get into this. We don't have the time. But it goes on here to point out that uh, the left, that is the radical progressivism, secularism, whatever you might want to call it, is reaching a dead end. It's reaching a place where it simply has nowhere else to go. That uh, what it's doing is is uh, vain, that is, it's empty, it's nihilistic, it's not providing people with the uh, stability and uh, the understanding and so, that they have, it's, uh, it's providing people with uh, watered-down versions of almost everything, and it has nothing really new to say. Uh, it goes from one fad to another, and uh, constantly destroying the, the very institutions that built Western civilization, and it has come to both an intellectual and a physical dead end, and we need, to rec we need to recognize that. Liberalism simply isn't working. Therefore, intelligent uh, people who are intellectually curious and rebellious young people will find no oxygen on the left. They'll have to go rightward to entertain what are now called taboo topics among the left, and, which inc and with increasingly frequency, Lion observes, that's exactly the way young people are starting to go. They're starting to see what's wrong 
with uh, a lot of the movements on the left, and they're starting to understand that there's it's a dead end, and all of the things that make life worth living are not to be found there anymore. So he certainly cor- correct correct Lyons is certainly correct about the collapse of any sort of countercultural on the left, and it is collapsing. The point is, is that are we going to allow our society to collapse with it? Or are we going to detach ourselves from it and return to the roots of our civilization and reunite, in my opinion at least, uh, the, the necessary dogmas of religion with our law so that we can have a far more stable, productive, and workable society? So we're going to have to stop at this point. Is there anything further you want to say, Lynn? No, I think he pretty well hits it, nails it. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to say our prayer and end our program. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about Advent coming on and maybe uh, some of the things uh, coming up about uh, Christmas and uh, center our show around that. So at any rate, until then, St. Michael the Archangel, defend defend us in battle, battle, be be our our protection against against the wickedness and and fears of the devil. May May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and and do thou, thou, Prince Prince of the the Heavenly Host, by the, By the power, power of God, God thrust into hell Satan and all and evil all spirits, spirits who wander through the world for the root of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 